to a hospital. Her father received an administrative warning. And finally, Pittsburgh Penguin star Evgeny Malkin has donated 4 million rubles or 60,000 US dollars to help victims of the apartment block explosion in, the, in, in his hometown of Magnitogorsk, which claimed the lives of 31 people, including six children. After the tragedy, the two-time Stanley Cup holder wore skates with special messages dedicated to those who had died or lost relatives in the fatal explosion. According to Malkin, Pittsburgh Penguins players have also launched a fundraising campaign for the victims and will send the money to the specially created account. Rated 1 out of 10 on the roads this summer, according to our interactive map, driving time to and from Shremetve Airport is around 40 minutes each way. You'll spend an hour on your way to and from Domodedovo Airport. Driving time to and from Vnukovo is 45 minutes each way. Plus 1 in Stockholm, 21 in Taipei, 23 in Miami. It's currently 13 degrees below zero here in the nation's capital, with some snow and a high of minus 12 predicted for Moscow tomorrow. And that's all the news for now. I'll be in the studio. Stay tuned for more. Your new year starts here on Capital Sports on Moscow's Capital FM. I'm Alan Moore. This is Capital Sports. With Alan Moore. Welcome one and all and happy new year to everybody out there in listener land. Uh, Nikki Stay, it's great to see you back in the studio. And you're looking well, even though I know you're not so well over the new year. I'm all right already. I'm trying to be. I know. Your, your voice has a more husky sound to it right now. <laughs> that was an accident. Re- oh, really? I thought you were putting it on. Like, I mean, just to sort of no. draw in listeners going, no, not that who good is of that actress. lady with the husky, like, smoky voice? Is that her? Yes, it is. Oh, my God. It's Nikki wow. Stay. <laughs> it's Halloween, almost, sounding like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or Valentine's Day, whichever is the best. Okay. So, uh, as Valeria said just there, that it is minus 13 in Moscow. So, I know a good, a good, good long-time listener of ours, Steve, he will say, like you know we, we treat the weather very very lightly here we say it's like it's a, it's a chilly minus 20 like minus 13 it's not that bad i mean i was freezing my eyes were barely opening when i was walking up along the river to come into the studio however i'm here now and we're ready to roll so uh coming up very shortly in just a couple of minutes we have andrew flint from ronnie dog football uh we will then have michelle rocket from sporting integrity and andy mclean he will be on the phone to us as well uh speaking about all this new about well about all the updates and bets as well okay so what else have we going on? We have a KHL update because, of course, the KHL is absolutely flying right now. We're going over now to Spartak in the, well, it's called the CSKA Arena. It used to call it BTB Arena. And it is 1-1 between Spartak, uh, Spartak, Spartak and Neftimik Nishnikams. Now, I was at a game last uh, week with a good friend of mine, Anna. We, it was seven, or actually a whole load of people were there. 11,111 people there in the stadium absolutely wonderful it was it was pretty much a seller crowd there were a few spaces left but not that many uh 7-0 spartak win uh and i mean you know looking at it, i mean it was it was the biggest win they've ever had in the khl they're playing a team uh sibir novosibirsk who were like another bad team but my goodness i mean it was just an absolute massacre it was nil nil after the first period and then five goals in the second period for spartak you were kind of you know, feeling sorry for them, thinking like, you know, this, you know, just 
blow, blow the whistle referee, just like you'll blow the horn. So, all right, uh, we are going to go now in just a moment at the two men in Siberia, where it's probably marginally colder than here in Moscow. But first, a little story that I uh, just want to bring to you guys to put our later discussions into context. So, uh, Carolina Panthers, of course, playing the NFL. They have a player called Eric Reed. He's a wide receiver. Now, uh, last May, he felt he was being discriminated against because he was taking part in that, like, you know, taking the protest, um, you know, kind of Black Lives Matter and so on and so forth in, um, in, in the USA and on the NFL players kneeling for the national anthem and so on. Now, he never disrespected it. He just said, look, this is something that I, I feel I should stand, stand up for. Uh, he couldn't get a job, but then he, he finally did with the Carolina Panthers. He came in to replace an injured player. And since September, since he joined the Carolina Panthers, uh, up including, I think it was uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, their last game, their last regular season game, he has been tested seven times, drug tested seven times. Now, as he said himself, like, it's either target testing, he said, I've never, ever done anything wrong, I've never taken any drugs, however, I've been tested seven times, and they've now lodged a complaint to say that he is being um, kind of bullied out of the NFL. So... This can happen. Sometimes the, the top authorities figure, okay, well, if you're going to make a fuss, we're going to make a fuss of you. Uh, so this is Eric Reed, Caroline Panthers. Read it up. It's, it's an interesting story. There's a lot at stake. And, I mean, uh, we're talking like tens of millions of dollars could be settled here if he wins this case he's going to bring against the NFL. Right. We're going all the way to Chimena, Siberia, to Mr. Andrew Flint. Andrew, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad, thanks. I'm not too bad. Not back in Chumon just yet, actually. I'm, I'm only flying back on Friday, but I uh, oh. can't wait to get back to minus 25. Minus 25, there you go. Well, listen, a very happy new year to you and yours. Yeah, happy new year to you guys too. It's good to be back. Listen, just, I just want to ask you one question because there's been a lot of, um, domestically here, uh, of course, it's a quiet season um, this weekend. A lot of our clubs, or four of our clubs, are away in Qatar, of all places. They're playing in a, well, let's just say a, a, a money cup out there. We'll, we'll get on to that a bit later. But Spartak are in all sorts of bother. What, what's going on there? I mean, they're, they're losing players left, right and centre, aren't they? Oh, yeah. And in a weird way, I think some of them actually make a lot of sense. Um, I mean, getting rid of Sitknotes himself, Miss Anna Nidze, is probably the most controversial for me. Um, I've always been a big, big fan of He's got a huge amount of talent, but you just can't really get past his injury record. Um, I'm just looking forward to seeing him some game time, really. Um, but Yeremenko was never never likely to be a smooth panther, um, shall we say. So perhaps it's for the best that um, he's gone. But um, so made off likewise age. So I, I, don't, I don't think it was too bad, but... My word, it's quite a lot of upheaval for their squad. I mean, no, I know I, we were mentioning this before uh, earlier on today, um, that there, there's a link between what Spartak are doing and an agent who brought most of these players into the club. And it seems that they're, they're not just cleaning house with players, but they're cleaning house with, uh, let's say, um, an agent who is very, very closely linked with the club as well. Well, yeah, I think it was quite amusing to see uh, Mr. Trabuki's comments a few days ago saying Yedemienko will play a key role at Spartak and three days later he's, he's out of the club. Um, I mean, without saying the word, that is completely undermining, well, I wouldn't say necessarily...
Okay, I think we have just dropped Andrew. Uh, Nikki will try to get him back there in just a moment. Uh, okay, so we'll, we'll get Andrew back in just a moment. But um, just an update on that was is Marco Tribucci, who is an Italian football agent. Of course, he's people registered as well. And he had looked after all these players. He, of course, gets his commission, whatever, 90%, 10% usually, uh, on from their salaries and also from the transfers and so on. Uh, he'd been very closely associated with Spartak, of course, through Massimo Carrera and his predecessor. So, this was a kind of um, a very, very unusual move that not only are Spartak getting rid of players, but they're also trying to remove this uh, man himself from the whole equation. Uh, now, I mean, this, this happens from time to time in clubs. This does go on, uh, but maybe not as difficult, not, not as difficult to, you know, let's just, uh, let's just put it this way, that it, it's not as difficult to uh, understand uh, or difficult to accept when a club is hemorrhaging a lot of money like an awful lot of money uh, you know, at, at these time periods because um, for example one club in uh, in Germany they were they had paid uh, for buying players so just, just for buying players transfers money that they sent to other clubs or like went out to other clubs they paid approximately 45 million euros okay it's not a huge amount but you know in the overall scale but it's, it, it's enough on top of that, on top of that, they paid signing bonuses um, worth an approximate, I think it was around uh, 7 million euros to players. So players who, you know, they, they sign for the club. So in order to, um, you know, to get them into the club, they, they, they paid them another, like, you know, some like 100,000 here, 200,000 there, 1 million here and so on and so forth. Uh, so basically, uh, the transfer bill went up right away to 52 million. Now, on top of that, for agent services, so not just that 52 million. So they, for services, the agents who were <clears throat> assisting the club and signing these players and making the transfers happen, they paid another 6 million. So that's 58 million in the transfer market that this club spent that they really didn't need to, to be spending. They did, they lost the money. So you can imagine, or not imagine, you can understand that when clubs do want to try and you know, cut their costs and sort of cut agents out of it as well. Uh, a very very simple example we had one player from uh, when we were, when I was working with Floriana in Malta the player was coming down and the agent insisted on a 5,000 pound sterling bonus so he said that if you want this player you pay me 5,000 uh, pounds so we said well we can't pay it right now but we'll pay it in installments and we did so everything was okay but this is the power that agents have so with Mr. Trabucci they're forcing him out by basically getting rid of their of his players so all his clients are being moved out of the club so he will no longer have a place or no longer have a say in the club so it's a kind of a it's an interesting thing okay we've got Andrew Flint back on the line uh, Andrew welcome back okay so the FSB didn't cut off your, your phone line anyway <laughs> no hopefully not and definitely not the Daily Mail as well, because we, 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 had, we had a few attacks on us um, uh, for daring to suggest that uh, British athletes might, might on occasion dope or do something uh, wrong. Well, Al, I mean, that's very irresponsible of you. I don't know why you would suggest anything like that. I mean, I, I mean, I mean let, let's, let's not even speak, but Manchester City, they always are there for their drug testing. West Ham as well, always there for drug testing. And of course, your own Rio Ferdinand, he never skipped the test. Yeah, um, I... <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't say too much, as my opinion will come out rather biased on this one. But um, I think it's safe to say that in certain places, in certain countries of a certain union, there is a fair bit of doping going on, perhaps. 
Yeah, I think there, there, there are issues of that. And I mean, there is, of course, that, that thing with, uh, just now we're just on the topic, about uh, a Premier League player, um, a central defender for a, a Premier League club, was done, uh, or was caught using cocaine. So, I mean, you know, I, I know that people say, like, you know, that, you know, cocaine, is, it's a party drug and so on and so forth, but, you know, it's, it, it is a banned substance, but... When you see so few players are actually tested in in England, and so few players then who are tested fail, it, it just it, it either that they're all all very very clean, or there's something wrong. Um, well, I, I think my opinion almost certainly mirrors what I'm certain yours is on this one, <laughs> Alan. But um, Andrew, you still there? Yes, yes, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. Listen, Andrew, li- listen, well, let's get away. let's get on to actually some football for for a moment. Okay. Uh so let's 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 look at the the Liverpool flying high, but then they absolutely they belly flopped against Man City. Uh and you know, they even though you know they they're still looking okay, they they went out of the FA Cup of the weekend. Of course, everyone's saying, well, it doesn't matter we're four points ahead at the top of the league. But could this be another kind of a let's just say slip up by Liverpool? They will be absolutely desperate, I'm sure, to assure everybody, but they'd never cared about the FA Cup anyway, and that results against City, well, we're still, you know, a few points clear. Um, I, I actually do think, and I'm trying to be unbiased here, I promise, but there is it's such a massive hurdle for them to get over, to get over the line. They've had a few near misses in the last decade or so, um, a few slip-ups that lovely Stephen Gerrard's hit. <laughs> uh, I mean, sorry, actually. That wasn't a slip of the tongue, by the way, um, or a pun. <laughs> it was like the truth. So, anyway. Well, it's, I, think, I, think, um, I think they have a real challenge on now because not, they're not used to being in this position where they arguably, genuinely are favourites or equal favourites. Um, so it's, it's going to be a real test for them. I, I don't think they're going to, to see it out to the end of the season at the top of the table. That's my opinion, but um, we'll see what happens. Listen, um, there's, of course, uh, transfer window is open, of course, and Paredes looks like he's going to go from Zenit to Chelsea. Would that be a, a decent move for him and a decent buy for Chelsea? I actually think it would. I think all round it's a, it's a decent transfer because... When he moved out to Zenit, he thought, well, that's a guaranteed title under my belt, but there's no way that he was planning on finishing his career there. Now that he's realised quite what a mess of a club Zenit are, or at least can be, um, going to Chelsea would probably make sense, I think, because he's a natural replacement for Jorginho in the middle. Um, So I think he would have a good chance of game time. Um, He'll obviously get paid well. He'll be more visible, should we say, in European competition um, and I think he's getting out at well, probably just about the right time Perfect well I mean they, they'll probably win the league this year well they, they should do unless they completely foul up here in Russia um, Costas Malolos going to Manchester United good move? Uh, any defender who is not <laughs> Phil Jones Chris Smalling is a good move at the moment <laughs> as far as I'm concerned um, I think it's I'm not sure it's the right move to make because it probably negates getting a big centre-back in the summer, which is obviously when the the business is done in Europe more. Um, I personally wouldn't. Um, I would just, for this half-season, I would say, look, let's just go all out attack. We'll concede a lot. Our defence isn't great, but let's rebuild it in the summer properly. Good Um, idea. Personally, I I wouldn't spend that money at this stage of the season on him. Okay, listen, Andrew, we're going to go away now, but we will be back with you next week, of course, at the, the same time next week. Thank you very, very much, and get back safely, and we'll see you back here very, very soon. 
I will do. Good to be back, and I look forward to speaking to you next week, then. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, that was Andrew Flynn from Ryan Dog Football, our, our, uh, <coughs> excuse me, our regular contributor here on Capital Sports. Right. Uh, we are going to have a superb guest in the second part. We have Michelle Verrocken uh, from Sporting Integrity. You, you folks, turn up your radios and just sit back and listen, because she is... She, like... This one will tell as it is. Uh, and, of course, we've got Annie McLean a bit later on. Now, we have a quick giveaway to give away. We have got two 2,000 ruble vouchers for Katie O'Shea's on Mokovaya to give away to you. Uh, the question is simply this, and you should know what this one is. Plus 795-11-11053. Who are top of the English Premier League? Is it Liverpool or Manchester United? Okay, very, very simple. Plus 795-11-11053. Liverpool or Manchester United? Who are top of the English Premier League right now? Not the end of the season, but right now. We're going to wait to the break with Borak Yetter and Tuesday. Back after this. Capital Sports with Alan Moore.
Was your holiday? Oh, well, do you know what? It was, I mean, I won't say on air what happened to my holiday, but I was meant to be in Ireland, of course, for, for New Year's. Didn't quite work out that way. However, I did have a wonderful time at home with my, uh, well, good people time with my, New Year's Eve, I was on my own, which is great, <laughs> watching a movie, um, as you do, like normal Friday night for me. Uh, however, um, on the 30th, 31st, Tim was with me, and we watched the movie, and I've said this so many times, listeners, Escape to Victory. The greatest movie ever made, full stop. I will. Anyone who anyone wants to like challenge me on that, I will point out why it's the greatest movie. But it is the greatest movie. Oh, that's the one you told me about. Yeah, and I watched that like it was like thirty odd years ago. I watched it in the cinema with my dad. Uh, I was the same age as Tim is now, but about eight or nine, and went into the cinema, watched it. People were standing up all around. It was all fathers and sons mainly, and it's that movie where it's all about football and in the Second World War. So it has like war mm-hmm. and football. So it's like perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim really got into it. And he started, like, you know, shouting at the computer, going, like, oh, referee, you're cheating. The Germans have paid you off. Like, okay, Tim, it's, you know, but I was so proud of him, you know, because when I was in the cinema and the referee gave a penalty against Sylvester Stallone, he was the goalkeeper, mm-hmm. people started throwing things at the screen. <laughs> and then when he's, well, at the end of the movie, when it, it all resolves itself very, very nicely, the whole crowd was standing up clapping and cheering. So it was a, it was wonderful. And how was your New Year's? I know you were sick, but how did you spend it? Uh, I spent it very well because my friends, they cooked for me, they cleaned up for me. So there are advantages to having a fever on the New Year. You could have sent them over to me. Or even just like <laughs> sent over like a care package to me. Or something. I, I cooked myself. I actually I had... I had an Irish meal. I had potatoes and pea. Anyway, oh, yeah. I think you posted that one, too. I did, yeah. Thanks to you. Yeah, thanks to it. Because Nikki is my Yoda so for, <laughs> for Instagram and social media. Okay, right. We're going to go to phone out in just a moment. So, uh, to build into this, I want to give everyone a little, uh, just a little kind of like a, a, a background view and kind of lead into it. So, of course, Russia is returning back to work, well, today. Well, most people are still away uh, until next Monday because they're taking long holidays. However, WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, they have returned to Russia to collect material that was meant to be in their possession by December 31st, 2018. Uh, now, as they land here, the scandal surrounding the 2012 Olympics in London is growing as they are now, in terms of uh, medals being stripped they, and people being found to have been doping, the dirtiest games in history. Most of those are, of course, Russians. Uh, now, and it was not the cleanest games in history as Sebastian Coe, who is now the head of the International Athletics, Amateur Athletics Federation. He said it was the cleanest games. It wasn't quite. And now we've often spoken on here about the war on doping as being, let's say, unwinnable. However, it might not be. It might not be. And we're going to show why. And we are very, very fortunate to have with us, all the way from London, the former head of ethics and anti-doping in, at UK Sport and now CEO of Sporting Integrity, one of the world leaders in compliance and basically trying to help organizations, federations and associations to get themselves clean. Michelle Verrocken. Michelle, you're very welcome to Capital Sports. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Yeah. Did I introduce you well enough? Did I say that like yo, you guys are doing a great job? Well, yeah, I'd like to think so. It's uh, it, it's always a challenge. This whole area of corruption and credibility in sport, but it has to be fought. And listen, Michelle. First up, can doping be eradicated from sports? To be honest, I don't think so. I think we have to be aware that um, sports medicine is wanting to push the boundaries. 
and we have such grey areas in the um, the regulations around anti-doping. Sometimes something is permitted, sometimes it isn't. But really, we have to be aware that that we haven't got a black and white situation when it comes to doping. Okay. No, that that is fair enough. I mean, life is not black and white. If it was, it'd be boring in some ways, but there are grey areas. But, you know, we we speak here uh, quite often, and I say it all the time here in Russia, about education, about the dangers of doping, for example. And you were to the forefront and you established a system of education and programs to train the doping inspectors and to inform athletes how to combat doping. And not just that, how long did it take that to get established in the UK? And with that, what obstacles did you face when trying to establish that system? Well, it's an interesting situation that, in my view, we should always start with education. And then we introduce testing. I say that to every sport that I work with. But there is sometimes a rush to just be part of the performance, Mm-hmm. part of the competition without getting yourself properly educated about what it is you should be doing to prepare for, if you like, eligibility for that competition. So we're, we're almost making a problem for ourselves. Now, if we are being realistic about the whole sports participation, performance, then we need to draw a line somewhere and say how much can the anti-doping system actually, um, if you like, uh, um, rigorously test and interrogate for its its validity. And I've just looked at the case recently of this 90-year-old cyclist in America. Um, He set a world master's record, and that's fantastic. But what do we find? He's actually tested positive for an anabolic steroid. But the supplements that he was taking, which were checked by the National Anti-Doping Organization, contained a different steroid altogether. So hold on, hold on. It was a a contaminated supplement, correct? Well, the contamination did not lead to his positive test. Oh, okay. So... So the conclusion is that he must have eaten this um, uh, anabolic steroid from some kind of meat contamination because he was tested the day prior to the positive test as well, and the first test was negative. So, okay, so in the space of 24 hours or less, he... Yeah. somehow got this anabolic steroid, which, now, let's, Michelle, let's be honest with this, that's not going to help his performance on the day. That's not, this, that's not what you take when you're going into an event. And, and this is all part of the credibility issue. Do we have a list that's fit for purpose when we're trying to prohibit things? And when we signal to athletes that it's fine to use cocaine out of competition, but not in competition, and yet we still talk about a spirit of sport as one of our criteria for the World Anti-Doping Code and prohibiting substances, I do worry that we're not communicating well with people who are seeing things in a common-sense way, saying, well, why is that? Why is that acceptable? 
That's okay. That's that, that's actually a very very fair point. I'm, just, I'm going to step onto this because, of course, water are here uh, as I just mentioned, um, and you know, what 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 more powers do they need to be given, or should they be given more powers? to try and combat anti-doping, or do we need to basically have a kind of a separate uh, organization to educate, educate the public, educate the athletes? Again, it's an interesting situation because what more powers do we give? What more resources do we give? And and I worry that anti-doping has become something of an open checkbook for sport, for governments, and we need to actually make what we've got work better that's really essential okay because at the present moment it is we've got almost sport and government still in opposition to each other and the athletes is falling through the middle and there's education being offered by by various organizations but no one's really grabbing this and saying we need to help protect the health and safety of athletes and and they need to engage in that in order that we rule out all the health problems and we stop cheating we make cheating unacceptable listen I, and we don't seem to have done that no i agree with that because it's something that i, I brought up in russia where they set up a, a con, it's called a playfair program uh, or like, you know, basically yeah. a fair, fair sport program in uh, a, a Russian region called Ulyanovsk. And it was a grassroots thing where basically it, it combined the Ministry of Education and Sport within this region, plus uh, parents groups basically said, look, we want to tell our kids, you know, if you have to cheat, get out of sport, it's not for you. Now, nationally, of course, it's very hard to have that going because when you go to a certain level, you know, everyone wants to win and you only get funding if you get gold medals and so on and so forth. And there are not the, let's say, the financial backers or sponsors that you would have in the West. You know, you're making the East-West divide. Um, is, that, is that something then that, like, you know, do, do, does there need to be a sort of an education of parents at the same time, Michelle? Do they need to be told, look after your children's health? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's, it, it's not just parents. It's got to be a shared responsibility with the coaches, the doctors, even the sponsors and the and those who are funding the um, the, the elite programs in in their in their countries, and and that is a way, really, to me, to try and restore the credibility. Because you started by saying to me about you know Wadra back in Russia. Well, fine. And when they emerge with whatever they emerge with, do you think that we're really going to see people, in, you know, trust and, and, and rely on that information? I, I think people are fast losing their whole sort of trust in sport. And, and it, it's happening in every Olympic Games now that what we see is going to be changed anyway within whatever period of time. So we have to try to find a way through that makes people want to believe in the performance. Those part, those who are participating, participating, sorry, uh-huh. yeah, those who are participating and, and those who are watching it, because otherwise this huge credibility gap is just allowing people to say, well, 
if they don't believe me, I might as well use it anyway. There you go. That's the whole thing. Is that like kind of um, that defense of, well, everyone else is doping, so why shouldn't I? I need to dope to compete. Yeah. So, and, and, and the same with watching sport. So why should I bother watching it? I've, I've given up on tennis because I don't believe what I see on court. Um, and uh, Michelle, just on, on, on that, I mean, just in, in terms of like education and programs, you, uh, UK anti-doping linked up with British cycling. Um, to, 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 I think it was only in this, this year, I think it was earlier on this year. Was that a wise thing for, for, for an anti-doping organisation to link up with a sports federation? Should this be rolled out or should they be kind of a little bit more separate? Well, it is all about whether you have that partnership that we're meant to be seeing happening at the world anti-doping agency level where sports and, and the governments who are expecting the, the and underwriting the costs of the testing programs as well to, to work together to achieve a good standard or if we think this compromises in some way. Yeah. Now, sports should be taking responsibility for the education of their members. Anti-doping organisations can help provide education but the question still in my mind is, if the, if the education fails for a positive test, who takes the responsibility for that? And this is where it comes in in Russia, because it, it, it definitely was the case. We know it. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Hayo Sapelt, for example, he exposed it, that you know, people at the top, like Rodchenkov and so on, not just him, but quite a few of them, were able then to, for a fee, of course, cover up. And of course, I know myself in Croatia where things were covered up because, you know, they, they, this, this uh, certain tennis player was very valuable to the National Tennis Federation and was going to go to the Olympics and so on. Is there that element as well that, you know, the anti-doping organizations, if they get too close to sports, they can be compromised? Well, I think that's a real problem for many people working in sport as well as the organizations. And if you are guaranteeing, you know, uh, performances that are going to improve as a doctor or you are making huge investments in a medal sort of program for an Olympic Games, then of course questions must be asked about how far you are prepared to go to compromise. It's not maybe even a cover-up. Yeah. It, it's just that slight level of corruption that that turning a blind eye to something, the timing of testing is different, or it's even um, uh, uh, timed so that you're actually interfering with your country competitors' training or, or preparation. Oh, okay, okay, that's I've fair enough. that happen. Okay, you've seen... Okay, no, I don't, I don't ask her name names or that. I mean, we could do that off air. But, you know, Michelle, it, because we've always seen that case. I mean, I've, I've seen it before in football where they've been, you know, taking people out to get tested. Um, you know, like going to the hotel, for example, early in the morning, getting a player out of bed to go have a test. When, when you know, when there's a foreign team in town. That, like, I mean, I always thought that that was just kind of like an anomaly. But is that kind of um, used to, to support, like, a bit of nationalism? Because the system we currently have really is failing. It's allowing for things like poor timing of testing 
um, and some fairly ridiculous situations to emerge through the testing program that makes me wonder why it is the type of testing that we're still doing was first introduced back in 1966. Are you serious? So it's now, already, it's, this is like 50 years old. Why is it we're not using more modern technology? We can have more instantaneous testing. We can certainly be testing on a more regular basis and transfer the responsibility now to the elite athlete. You're going to make yourself eligible for testing, almost like a kind of tachograph right. on, 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 uh, on athletes. If you understand what I mean by tachograph. Yes, like yes, yeah. Uh, like on, on, the, uh, yeah. on the trucks or whatever, you have to show like your mileage and it's, so on. Exactly. So this is about how you demonstrate on a very regular basis either by the prep you know the sorry the provision of uh, breath samples dried blood so- samples saliva samples all of these other technologies exist and we could be collecting samples almost on a daily basis so basically we don't have to analyze them all yeah well, this is the but whole thing we've got that history well, and this is what we're looking at now with, like I say, with London 2012, where they have frozen urine samples. And I mean, okay, Russia has lost 13 medals from, from London in 2012, which is good because those people were caught cheating, do them, get them out of there. Because now we have the, like, better technology to test. Now, even the bronze that, you know, Tatiana Chernova won in Heptathlon, um, do you think London 2012, will it have more medals, you know, stripped from athletes? And will it be, Will it not just be, say, focus more on Russia? Will it be a wider kind of, um, let's say, a- investigation examination? Well, certainly that's one of the difficulties with this retesting program, that we have very little transparency around the retesting policy, which sports, which countries. But we do know that it can only actually on those who were tested. What about those who weren't tested? Clearly, they've got all of it. Okay, so okay, that's, now, that's fair enough, yeah. So basically those people who yeah. might, not have been, might not have finished in the top eight or might even have won a medal but not been tested will get away free if their test samples are, if they were never tested, correct? Well, certainly. And one of the um, policies that we've tried to bring forward within the Commonwealth Games, I've worked with their medical commission, is that we would not want to re-award a medal unless the person receiving it had also been tested. Okay, now that's a very, very good point and a fair point because we've seen it in the Tour de France. People who were, you know, or even, say, in the 1980, the notorious 1998-100-metre men's sprint final, where seven of the eight finalists had all doped at one point or other. So it was a, you know, who gets the gold medal in the end. Um, Michelle, we, we, just to, to, to round up, um, if you could wave a magic wand and have one major change in sports, what would it be? Ooh. <laughs> I, it, couldn't be one, it couldn't be one, I'm afraid. Okay. We do need an overhaul of this current anti-doping system because at the moment, the only winners are the lawyers in a blame game of, you know, what's what's not going right and everybody clamoring to be the leading anti-doping organization or person. And, and I think really they've 
forgotten the athlete at the end of this. And it really does need a fundamental change around the health and safety of the athlete and perhaps that constant eligibility tachograph idea needs to be taken further forward. That's Michelle Rockin from Sporting Integrity. Thank you so much. A very happy new year to you. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to head to the break right away with Marvin Gaye. And he's telling us what to do with doping. It's we've got to give it up. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. Welcome back, listeners. Again, that question, who right now is top of the English Premier League? Is it Liverpool or Manchester United? Plus 795-1111-053 to win a 2,000 ruble gift voucher for food and drink to Katie O'Shea's in Mokovaya. Right. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that last interview because, again, Michelle Brocken, she's someone who had worked setting up the anti-doping system in the UK, had left because it wasn't been set up. Well, one reason was because it wasn't been set up as well as it should have. And, you know, she's someone who talks an awful lot of sense and we're very, very lucky to have her on. Uh, we're going to give a quick update from that game over in the CSKA arena. It is right now in overtime. It is 2-2 between Spartak and FM Ignition Camps. And just so you folks know, um, if you want to have a good Friday night, a good bit of crack on a Friday night, uh, there 
is a game. There is a game. So just so you know, between Spartak. Uh, actually, there's a game. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. There is CSKA. I give me one Spartak and one wrong. CSKA are playing against Tractor Chelly Bins tomorrow night. Okay, that's at seven thirty at the CSKA Arena, and uh, I think that that's going to be good. And of course, uh, out in Balashika, Spartak are playing on. I think it is on Sunday. It is on Sunday. I'll just double check that right now. But it is on Sunday. They're playing out in Balashika against Omsk. Why are Avangard Omsk playing out in Balashka, one might ask? And that is fair, a fair enough question. The reason is because their stadium in Omsk is falling down. Yes, it is falling down. So, uh, also on Sunday at 5... Oh, that's of course at 5 o'clock. At 5 o'clock, CSKA are home to Dinamo Minsk. So that will be a good one as well. But that big game tomorrow evening, 730 CSKA, Tractor Chelly Bins. Tractor are one of the big teams because, of course, we were speaking, we had a show, of course, our Champ Talks, um, with the ice hockey, the, sorry, the goalkeeper, uh, Julius Kudacek from uh, Spartak, and he told us that, you know, that, that Tractor are a really, really, really hot side. They're very, very good, very, very strong. So, of course, it's 2-2 right now between uh, Avangard and Vityaz out in Balashkas in the third period, but it's not overtime just yet. Okay, we are going to go on the phone over to the east side of Moscow, all the way from Moscow City here. Uh, Nikki Stay, is Mr. Andy on the phone? Yes, he is. All right, Andy McLean, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Alan. How are you? Good evening. Very, very good. And you seem to. What's this between you and Nikki? Like, not between you and Nikki in that case, but just that, that you both have these like husky voices on tonight. Husky voices? No, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I know there's nothing wrong. I, did I say there's nothing wrong? I said it's quite nice. It's very, very <laughs> interesting. It's very, um, I don't know, different, you know? It's like, uh, I, I don't know if I should be paying you guys per minute. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> um, listen, Andy, uh, quick, quick. Keeps you warm at night. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Heats up the old cockles at the heart. Listen, Man City tonight, 10.45, kicking off against uh, Burton Albion um, in the Carabao Cup semi-final. Last night there was a, a fair bit of, um, let's say, a swan dive, a literal swan dive, a practice dive from Harry Kane to win a penalty so that Tottenham would win 1-0 against Chelsea. Man City, they should win that one fairly handy tonight, shouldn't they? Man City, I think regardless of who they put out, I haven't seen any team news just yet. I think we'll win comfortably. I can't see Burton giving, giving them a, a real game away from home. They'll sit and hopefully see if they can maybe nick a goal and not concede too many to have something to play for for the second leg. So Burton Albion have about as much chance as Tim Burton against Manchester City tonight. <laughs> well, you know, he might get a second take at it. Yeah, true. Yeah, you might bring him to a replay. Right. Uh, listen, uh, massive changes over in England. We're discussing it briefly with Andrew Flint. Um, there in, in, in England over the, 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 the holidays. Liverpool's still top of the table, but I mean, that's, you know, they're, they're, they're having a bit of a rough one, aren't they? Well, I always think that winning and losing is contagious. And I think Liverpool have to be very careful now, having rotated against Wolves, that they don't let this, now two games on the bounce, that losing, you know, it, it, it affects morale, it affects confidence. Even the players that aren't actually starting and playing, the whole atmosphere can very quickly change. The pressure can build. But four points is still a big gap at the top and they should be looking at, you know, trying to get back on their feet very quickly. One result will, will get them going again. Well, listen, looking at it in that way, do, where would they need to strengthen uh, in, in, in the transfer window if they're going to strengthen? 
I think they would probably be looking at a defender. I don't think that Jurgen Klopp will be wanting to rattle the cage a bit too much. They've, they've got a good harmony at the moment. The strikers seem to be linking. Shakiri's gelled in very quickly. And I don't think he'll want to lose what they've got at the moment. Um, obviously, two or three big injuries and they might be in trouble and they might regret it. But I think they have a big enough squad. They've got young players that they can call on. They've proven that a few players are versatile. And he's obviously looking at Fabinho to maybe drop back into defence if, if, if need be, although he had a, um, not a great game against Wolves. Right. But there's options there for him to rotate around that squad. So I think if they will be bringing someone in, it'll be down to whether that player is available. I don't think he'll make any rash buys. Okay, well that makes that 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 makes sense. I mean, if you look at say, how he's developed his like you know setting off players, like you know say Lucas Leiva and so on, like, like he's been moving players out and bringing in better players over a period of a number of years. So I mean, he's not going to do any radical changes, will he? I don't think. I, I think he'd be crazy to do it at the moment. They're in such a good position. Um, perhaps a little bit worryingly that. Um, Nathaniel Klein, for example, someone that has been a big part of the squad over the, the last couple of seasons. When you let those play, those players go, they've got experience. They could come in and do a job here, and you can rely on them. That would maybe be a little bit of a concern. But I mean, we forget that they've got the likes of Daniel Sturridge and players that are almost totally forgotten that they can come back in. Of course, Klein is always under question in terms of you know his like who he hangs out with and you know different other issues if he's had like certain bands and so on but at the same time it is surprising to see a player a young English player just be let go you know sort of without much you know uh, ceremony Solanke you mean or Klein? Uh, Klein sorry Klein Um, yeah I guess with Brexit coming up (laughs) letting your British players go might not be the best idea but I think Klein needs game time. It's just a loan, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Solanke, I mean, it was just a crazy deal. This is a man that hasn't scored a goal in the Premier League. And yeah. 19 million. I know, I know. Well, I mean, that's, I mean Andy, there's, there's hope for us yet. Uh, listen, moving on, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Um, a lot of these teams, of course, are away. Uh, Manchester United as well. They're away in these warm weather training camps. Now, um, there's a bit of risky business going on with a Finnish player. Can you just explain a bit more about that to us? Oh uh, Yeah, risky indeed. Um, actually called risky. Plays for HJK Helsinki. Um, Can you say what, what, does, what, do, what does HJK mean? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, go on. I'm not going to test you. I won't test your tongue tonight. You're okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Andy. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, so Finland and Sweden had arranged a game, I believe, in Doha um, as just a friendly. But the HJK players come forward. He was selected in the squad and said he doesn't want to have any part in a fixture that's played in Qatar um, over ethical grounds, saying that the um, preparations for the World Cup in tw- 2022 are still not... or not up to the standards for the workers' rights. There's still abuse. There's still people going unpaid, etc. Um, obviously, there was a big Amnesty International report into that at the end of last year that highlighted all of the issues that this player has raised. Uh, and there doesn't seem to have been any change in that time. But 
he is the first of potentially many players now to start a boycott. Well, I mean, and it was, I think it was from Sweden or Denmark or could it, Norway, it was from a Scandinavian country that they actually brought this forward, that it should be, you know, that something should be done about it because they were, you know, concerned, again, about workers' rights and so on. I mean, we have, of course, uh, this coming weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday, four Russian clubs, Spartak, Lokomotiv, uh, Zenit and Rostov, all playing out in the match premier, obviously match TV, Cup, okay? And what they're saying is there is around $200 million in prize money. Can you believe that? $200 million. That's like, I think it's more than 10 times what's on offer for all of the Premier League clubs in Russia. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously more than what any of the Russian clubs, Russian clubs all put together have accumulated in Europe so far this season. Or in, in um, last yeah, it's a crazy figure. Season. I mean, 200, 200 million. I mean, they, they say it's like going to be so great and so on. So, of course, of course, this is building up for for the um, the World Cup in twenty twenty two. But like, are players right? Will we see more players doing that, Andy? Like, I mean, will, will more people take a stand and say, "I'm sorry, I'm not going to to, to play in Qatar"? Well, I think that um, FIFA and Infantino in particular have maybe tried to take the edge off this by saying that if they expand the World Cup from 32 teams to more than 40, they will probably have to use the surrounding countries who have obviously been in a, or have been in a political standoff with Qatar and are still not on favourable terms. How Qatar will see that going into the next year or two as we get closer to the tournament and the qualifying, that will have to be established. And I don't see how people would have a different view about Saudi Arabia, for example, than they would do about Qatar. Well, I mean, so it's a it's a huge issue that they have to address. Yeah, that is a good point. Listen, also, um, just just by the way, so HJK is Helsinki Jalkabalo Klubi Jalk Club. There you go. So it's like Helsinki Football Club. There you go. It's nice and simple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just I I, I, I said you. I said you. Um, I mean, also, I think United they're in Dubai right now, aren't they? Or in the they're in the Emirates, Manchester United. Uh, yeah, I think it is United Arab Emirates. Yeah, so I mean, again, the Emirates, another place where there are huge questions being asked over workers' rights, human rights in general. Um, but, you know, it, it, it does look like it's, you know, there is a bit of pressure coming on. Do you think, will, will things change? Will, like, could Qatar be stripped of the World Cup in 2022? It's a very big question, beyond, well, well beyond my remit of knowledge. Um, but... I think there is a distinct possibility depending on who qualifies, which, which, which countries qualify, um, and how serious they are about taking this to the next level. Okay. There were a few question marks over the conditions of uh, workers' rights in Russia as well. Uh-huh. Nothing really came. There were a few reports that highlighted issues with payments and standards of, of, of accommodation. Um, but this isn't the player's issue they have you know when we get closer to it they'll be focused on the job at hand okay that's, that's fair enough i mean yeah what's good for one country is good for another listen very very quickly before we go away tips for this weekend in the english premier league west ham big london derby 3 30 on saturday kicking off against arsenal um chelsea against newcastle at 8 30 uh on sunday on sunday on sunday 13th you have an everton Bournemouth and the big one spurs and united what do you reckon a spurs united game i mean Will, will United keep that run going? Like Spurs are on a bit of a downer at the moment as well. So, I mean, it could be Pochettino's, you know, his future club that he, he's hosting at the uh, at Wembley Stadium. 
Yeah, very true. Um, there's obviously been a lot of reports linking him to the job, and I think he would be a great candidate for it. He also has a very good record against Manchester United. The Spurs at home haven't lost in the last six fixtures. Uh, I think it's three draws and three victories. The last two have been wins. So he has maybe got them down to, to a, a tactical point where he knows what to do against Manchester United. He may not know now with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I don't think there's a clear sort of tactical blueprint that he has. I think he's just enjoying letting the players play, play off each other, link together, play a bit flowing, you know, let, let, let the ideas happen on the pitch. Okay. Um, so what would you I reckon? Think, however, yeah. Spurs will win. Okay, so a Spurs win against United at the weekend. Okay, that's that's a handy one. Andy, listen, thank you very, very much. We're going to let you go and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening and we'll see you next week in here in the studio. Great, thanks, Alan. Have thanks, a nice Andy. evening, guys. You too, thank you. Okay, before we go away this evening, we have to give out those wins. So, Nazar, you have won one of those vouchers and Anna, we've got the second voucher. Okay, so two winners. And of course, the top of the English Premier League right now are Liverpool. Yes, Liverpool FC. Right, that game between Spartak and Neftimic, that seems to be going till midnight because it's now in a penalty shootout. It finished 2-2 in overtime and it's in a penalty shootout. We don't have a result yet. They're still firing. It's 2-0 on the penalties. Okay, so uh, I'll let Valeria give that to you at the top of the next hour. So she will update you on what that score is. In the meantime, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go home, walk out into the cold. Let Nikki stay, enjoy the rest of her evening here on her own with her lovely husky voice. And folks, I'll say see you all next week. And I'm going to let you go and just shut up and dance. This is Walk to Moon. Talk to you next week. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. Don't you dare look back, just keep your eyes on me I said you're holding back, she said shut up and dance with me This woman is my destiny, she said
Step back, just keep your eyes on me I said you're 